Hello everybody, uh, I'm Kia Ora. Today we will be focusing on a new structural design method uh, for lightly bound cemented materials in flexible pavements. We have 477 people registered for today's session, um, so welcome to you all. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Ostroads and I will be moderating today's session. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the regional people of New Zealand. So a little bit about our strokes. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian traffic and transport agencies and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Rose Gapi. Um, a little bit of housekeeping. Our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A uh, session for 15 minutes. The report today's webinar is based on and the presentation slides can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right hand side of your screen. There is also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A at any stage of the webinar. If you could also name the slide number that your question relates to, it would help us answer your question as best as we can. You can also use that same question box if you have any technical problems. We've got Anne Randall um, behind the scenes helping us out, so just let Anne know if you have any issues. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, uh, the issue is most likely with your connection. So closing the browser, uh, leaving the webinar, closing your browser and rejoining uh, again by your registration link usually helps. Uh, this session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. Uh, if you listen to podcasts, uh, you can also search for Ostroads in your podcast app. And it gives me great pleasure um, to introduce our presenters for today, um, Dr. James Grenfell and Dr. Jeff Jemison. We will first hear from Dr. James Grenfell. James has more than uh, 16 years experience uh, working on various projects related to pavement materials, both in Australia and in the UK. He is currently a principal professional at the Australian Road Research Board, uh, working within sustainability and resilience. James' uh, work on Ostrod's project includes improving the knowledge of formed bitumen stabilized pavements and the use of lightly cemented materials in pavement construction. And our second presenter is Dr. Jeff uh, Jemison. Jeff is the Chief Technology Leader Pavement at the Australian Road Research Board. He has over 30 years of experience in research and development in a wide variety of areas uh, dealing with the design and analysis of pavement uh, structures and the characterization of pavement materials. Jeff is the author of various other parts of the Guide to Pavement Technology. Um, so James will talk about the project background, the use of lightly bound cemented materials and their testing, and he will also give us an overview of the performance uh, of the Queensland pavements selected for this project. And Jeff will take us through the structural design method proposed by Ostroads. So welcome to you both, and I will now hand over, hand over to James. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is James Grunfell. As Katerina mentioned, I'm a principal professional within sustainability and resilience at the Australian Road Research Board. Um, I'm going to be taking you through the first part of this webinar, and then I'll be handing over to Jeff Jameson, um, and then there'll be some questions, some time for questions and answers at the end. 
So first of all, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the project background and introduction. Um, so a quick introduction to the team. So the Osteros project manager for this particular project is Les Marchant from Main Roads, Western Australia. Um, I'm the project leader um, from ARRB. Um, and the team members also included Dr. Jeff Jameson, um, who's going to be talking a bit later, and Phil Hunt of Road Engineering Services, who unfortunately can't be with us today. Um, and in terms of the review team for this particular work, it consists of the Osros Pavement Structures Technical Group. Um, there's various stakeholders in terms of the road and traffic authorities. Um, it also includes industry in terms of OSTAB and AFPA and the civil contractors in New Zealand. Um, and also part of the review team is the Osros Pavement Task Force. Uh, and finally, the Osros Board. Um, this slide just gives an overview of the pavement structures technical group. So it has representatives from each of the state road authorities um, and representatives from New Zealand and AFPA, Ofstab, and the, the civil contractors in New Zealand. So first of all, we need to set the, um, this project into um, context. Um, in terms of the research needs and the project scope. Um, so in terms of um, what lightly bound cemented materials are, um, essentially they are granular materials to which moderate amounts of stabilizing binder have been added to improve modulus. Um, and in this case, um, there's an associated increase in tensile capacity. Um, so lightly bound cemented materials exhibit uh, behavior somewhere in between a modified granular material and more heavily bound cemented materials. So lightly bound materials and their response to loading is the, the subject of, of this research. Um, but it's generally common practice to categorize these materials with a 28-day um, unconfined compressive strength between 1 and 2 MPA. So the purpose of this project is to improve the understanding of the mechanisms of crack formation associated with uh, lightly bound cemented materials and to develop some Ostro's guidance in terms of pavement design. Um, and this webinar describes the research that's been undertaken in order to do this, and then discusses the proposed thickness design method. So the next section is just to discuss a little bit about the use of lightly bound cemented materials. Um, Road agencies have identified that um, there is the potential to increase the use of granular bases if they can be treated with 1% to 2% cementitious binders in order to improve their rut resistance, particularly when we're considering their use in combination with thin bituminous surfaces. Um, and also to provide a, a higher modulus layer underneath the thin asphalt surfacings. 
So LBC materials have the potential to crack due to shrinkage. Um, however, this is to a, a lesser extent than highly bound cemented materials. Um, research undertaken on the effects of shrinkage in, in highly bound or heavily bound cemented materials um, with binder contents of 3% or more is still applicable to LBC materials. Um, LBC materials tend to have very low fatigue lives. Um, if we were to consider how they differ from more heavily bound materials, the heavily bound materials are susceptible to load-induced block cracking um, that, that tends to form following transverse shrinkage cracking. Um, so the key difference in the ca cracking characteristics has led to the use of LBC materials with thin bituminous surfacings. Um, and their extensive use in Queensland has shown that they do not develop the, the block or ladder cracking and crocodile cracking if they're appropriately designed and constructed. Um, so that's their key advantage in comparison to the more heavily bound materials. As part of this project, we looked at the performance of some selected um, LBC sites in Queensland. Um, the schematic below just outlines a, a number of locations that were identified as being um, pavement constructions using um, lightly bound cemented treatments. Um, and in order to be able to develop a mechanistic empirical structural design, it's important to understand the in-service performance of these types of pavements um, with particular attention to um, how they crack. So trying to understand their propensity for cracking is, is key to, under, uh, to being able to develop a, a design method. So one of the, the key things that, that was noted from the observation of the various field sites um, was the effect of sub-base on their performance. Um, so this schematic is basically showing um, crack length versus the um, LBC thickness. Um, but it's also giving us some information about the traffic loading um, and the underlying support. So in terms of the, the points on the graph, um, I'd particularly like to draw your attention to section 2 and 2A. Um, so this is a, a particular site where the LBC construction was the same. Um, across a, a single section. However, the, the section could be split easily into two parts, one having uh, a relatively thin um, sub-base covering underneath, so only 50 millimeters, um, whereas site 2A had 325 millimeters of, of sub-base, um, granular sub-base depth. And immediately we can see a difference in performance. So the section with the thin sub-base covering 
had a, a much worse performance than the, the section with a, a considerably higher 325 millimeters thick sub-base covering. Um, again, we, I mean, there were a few sites that we paid particular attention to. Another one that we did some further investigations on was site 16. Um, this section was found to perform particularly well. And again, it was noted that this section also had a, a relatively thick sub-base coverage of 280 millimeters below the 150 millimeter um, LBC layer. Um, again, we can see that the, the traffic for section 16 was much lower than in the case of, of section two. Um, but again, we were able to take these learnings on in terms of helping us with developing uh, a structural design method. So in terms of the field inspections, um, in terms of plant mix LBC performance, generally these sites perform well. Um, this could be partly down to the fact that they're mainly placed as part of a new construction. So generally the underlying support um, was good, um, which proved to be a significant factor in, it, in their good performance. Um, in some cases though, the, the thin LBC bases were constructed on cemented material sub-bases and in those cases that sometimes transverse cracking was, was observed on the surface um, and that was most likely to be due to shrinkage of the, the cemented material sub-bases below. If we go on to consider in situ stabilized LBC bases, these tended to show a, a much wider range of performance. So the well-supported bases uh, demonstrated good performance um, and even some of the, the pavements with, with more inadequate uh, support from a structural engineering point of view. Um, but some of the in situ stabilized bases, uh, LBC bases exhibited very poor performance with the formation of major block cracking um, visible. And some of these sections ended up being extensively patched um, which was obviously uh, related to the significant distress and these pavements needed treatment to restore serviceability. Um, so one of the key factors as I've alluded to before is inadequate sub-base performance um, has generally led to um, LBC bases to, to have poor performance themselves. And in the current TMR design procedures, um, this experience is reflected and LBC bases need to be supported by a granular sub-base with a minimum design modulus of 150 MPa. Just going to continue on the, the theme of in situ uh, performance um, and there were a couple of field trial sites that were constructed during this project that we had access to, to monitor. Um, so I'm just going to talk about the in situ modulus of the LBC bases. So as I mentioned there were a couple of field trial sites that were constructed on the Bruce Highway during the duration of this particular project. 
Um, and one of these proved to be particularly useful for gaining um, further information. And that was a section between, um, well, at Barata Creeks, um, which is a 100 meter section on the northbound carriageway of the Bruce Highway between Eyre and Ch Townsville. So between changes uh, 23020 and 23120. This particular construction, as you can see in the bottom schematic, um, had a 250 millimeter in situ cement stabilization with 2% uh, general blend cement. Um, and it was constructed in March 2017. And the surface deflections were monitored over the first year of it being open to traffic um, by undertaking FWD after. 28 days, 90 days, and at one year. Um, material was also extracted for laboratory testing, and UCS testing showed that the, the stabilized material had a, um, a UCS in the range of 1 to 2 MPA, which is um, complying with those definitions for a, a lightly bound cemented material. Um, as I mentioned, FWD was carried out both in the, um, in the outer wheel path and between the wheel paths. And then back calculation was carried out to estimate the, the moduli of the LBC bases. Um, so in terms of the material in the outer wheel path. Um, after 28 days, the modulus was estimated to be around 1,170 MPA. Um, this had fallen slightly by 90 days to 1,150 MPA. And after one year in service in the outer wheel path, the modulus had fallen to around 770 MPA. Um, in contrast, if we were to consider the modulus of the material between the wheel paths, this remained relatively constant. So in the range of 900 to 1,000 MPA. Um, so if we go back to considering the moduli in the outer wheel path there, it's consistent with a, um, a material that's slowly being fatigued, damaged due, uh, due to loading and breaking down into a granular material. And therefore we get a, a reduction in the modulus. Um, however, if we considered the, the region between the wheel paths, which is untrafficked, um, we might consider that, that it would increase in modulus with curing time. However, it remains relatively constant. And so this, um, lack of increase is probably related to sort of load-induced damage um, in the wheel paths, influencing the measurements between the wheel paths. carried out significant laboratory testing. Some of the more conventional, uh, the UCS strength, um, but also looking at flexural strength and modulus and indirect tensile strength and modulus. 
most of the findings I'm going to be talking about today are purely related to the UCS um, findings. Um, and if you want to read further about some of the other properties, the best thing to do is to go to the report itself. Um, so in terms of the material that we were able to source from Baratta Creek, um, when we stabilize that material with 2% general blend cement in the laboratory, the 28-day UCS strength was, was greater than 2.5 MPA, um, which was significantly higher than what was measured by TMR and also by the contractor before and during construction. Um, and these differences can't just be explained by differences in densities of the test specimens. And therefore, one of the, the main conclusions from that is the requirement for a national test method for the preparation of UCS test specimens to improve the consistency of the UCS testing. So obviously, there's slight differences in how the samples are compacted um, and um, the materials are prepared um, from state to state. Uh, and one of the key findings from this work is the the requirement for a, a unified national test method for the preparation of UCS test specimens. When we were carrying out, I guess, the, the bulk of the laboratory testing here, we actually sourced a, a crushed Hornfells material from Victoria, um, which we stabilized with various proportions of GB cement. Um, so both sort of in the, the lightly bound um, state, so one to one and a half percent GB cement. Um, and we also use the same material to prepare more heavily bound materials in comparison. So using three percent GB cement. In terms of the UCS strength of the uh, Hornfels material stabilized with 1.5 percent GB cement. The 28-day UCS was up at around two and a half MPA uh, when compacted with 100% standard Procher compaction, um, which again is, is over the proposed upper limit um, of a, a lightly bound cemented material according to, to the Ostroads Guide to Pavement Technology. Um, but again, given the findings that we saw with the Bratta Creeks material, um, had these materials been prepared, say, by the TMR lab, the UCS may well have been lower and would have been sitting still within this 1 to 2 MPA band. Um, if we were to consider the indirect tensile and flexural modulus testing that was carried out, the the moduli for the 1.5% GB mixtures were roughly half those of uh, a material that was stabilized with 3% GB cement, um, which was what we were using for comparison as our highly bound cemented material. The next aspect of this work was looking at developing a uh, a wheel tracking test to characterize the fatigue performance of these cemented materials. Um, so this testing took advantage of using the extra large wheel tracking device that we have here at ARB that's been 
designed and manufactured to test unbound granular materials. Um, so we were able to use this work as a starting point for the development of a wheel tracking test um, to be able to apply heavy wheel loading to both the um, lightly bound cemented materials and the more heavily bound cemented materials to try to induce cracking. Um, so the device is shown in the bottom left. Um, material is also compacted within the device as well. The device has a compaction foot that comes down that allows us to compact cemented slabs directly into the mold using the device. Um, compaction foot is then folded away and a, a solid rubber tire is then used to apply the, the wheel load to the cured slabs um, and we can apply up to 20 kilonewtons of load. So equivalent of a, a single wheel load from a standard axle. Um, this work also involved obviously measuring deflections um, at the bottom of the, the cemented slabs. So in order to do that, we used uh, a simulative sub-base that was made up of LDP sheets. Um, this allowed us to, to cut holes through the this sub-base material, the, the LDP sheets, to insert displacement sensors. Um, and this allowed us to take measurements of deflections at the bottom of the cemented material um, during the wheel tracking so that we could monitor its performance. Um, so I should just say that the LDP sheets um, were built up to a level of 200 millimeters in thickness and the cemented slabs had a, a thickness of 100 millimeters. Um, and we were then measuring deflections at the center and the right-hand side of the slab under the center of the wheel loading, but also at the front and the, the back of the slab as well. Um, but most of the analysis um, for the performance of these materials was carried out using the deflections from the center um, deflection center uh, deflection sensor, sorry, um, which was under the middle of the, the wheel path. At the end of trafficking, um, we also assessed the, the slabs to understand a bit about the um, cracking characteristics. So typically the, the slabs were trafficked for up to 200,000 wheel passes. Um, as you can see on the left-hand side, we've got a, a slab which was a, a lightly cemented, a one and a half percent cemented slab. On the right-hand side, a 3% cemented slab. The cracking patterns on the surface were relatively similar. So we weren't really able to um, demonstrate that sort of the block cracking that you might see in a more heavily bound material. Um, however, the key differences were the amount of breakdown into a granular material under the wheel path in comparison between the, the lightly cemented on the left where there was a significant breakdown into granular material 
um, compared to on the right, where there was a very limited amount of granular material developed under the, um, the bottom of the slab um, under the wheel load. So in terms of the analysis of the deflections from the sensor, uh, the center sensor, um, key parameters that, that were derived um, can be shown in this schematic. So of particular interest to the uh, initial deflection, um, which is characterized as D naught. So this initial deflection is the deflection of the center sensor under the initial wheel loading. The deflections then tended to increase up to an inflection point. Um, this inflection point um, we then characterized as the fatigue life of our material, um, which happened at much lower wheel load cycles for the lightly bound cemented materials compared to the heavily bound. Um, the deflection at this point then remained relatively constant until the end of the test. And this deflection was characterized uh, as uh, a figure D1. So the key findings from the wheel tracking tests were that no significant differences were noted in the nature of the surface cracking developed between um, the lightly bound and the more heavily bound materials. So there was no difference as a function of binder content. Um, and therefore the block cracking that may occur in the in-service pavements um, couldn't be directly replicated in the wheel tracking test. And this is most likely due to the, the length and the width and uh, depth of the slab compared to the di dimensions of the materials in the roadbed. Um, the initial deflections reflected the initial modulus of the, the materials in the slab. Um, and so for the crushed Hornfels material, the initial deflections generally decreased with increasing cement content which was consistent in their expected um, relative moduli. Um, so the 1% the and the 3% cement stabilized slabs have much higher initial deflections than the 3% um, stabilized slabs. So the final deflection is the deflection point at the uh, is the deflection at the inflection point. Um, and to some extent, this was considered to reflect the, the slab modulus in its crack state. Um, the most interesting finding from the wheel tracking was the relative fatigue lives of the LBC and the HBC materials. Um, and typically for the Hornfels material, the slab stabilized with one and a half percent cement um, had fatigue lives approximately half that of the, the more heavily bound materials, which were stabilized with 3% cement. And this finding was used in the development of the design method. So just a reminder to everybody that you've got the chance to send us your questions. So if you click on the question icon on your sidebar. Um, that'll allow you to type in some questions and we'll be taking questions at the end of the webinar. I'm now going to hand over to 
Jeff Jameson. Thank you very much, James, and welcome everyone. Uh, what I'm going to describe is a proposed uh, Ostroads design method for lightly bound uh, cement materials for inclusion in uh, the future in part two of the guide, which covers the design of new pavements, and part five of the guide, which is covers the structural design of, of pavement strengthening treatments. So currently the, these guides don't cover lightly bound cement materials and one of the objectives of the project was to develop a framework for future inclusion of a method uh, in the guide. So what I'll be describing hasn't yet been included as an Ostroads method. It's a framework that's out for evalua evaluation and it's been a framework that's been developed from the project findings and also the pioneering work that uh, Queensland Department of uh, Transport and Main Roads have done over the last 10 years in developing their structural design methods. So we've built very heavily on, on the experience of, of TMR in that respect. Now the model has been developed based on the performance of moderate to heavily traffic roads. And so in Preparing the text for part two and part five of the Ostroads method, we'll need to con give consideration of any modifications that are necessary for the design of, of lightly traffic roads. Our, design, our thickness design methods are based on what's called a, a mechanistic empirical design approach. The mechanistic part of that title relates to the fact that we calculate a response to a load of a trial pavement and the empirical part relates to the fact that those responses to load, in our case strains, uh, are related to in-service performance. So the process that we use to design a pavement is first off to select a trial pavement configuration uh, with the material type and the thicknesses and the design moduli. We calculate critical strain values in the pavement um, and from those strains we calculate the allowable loading uh, using performance relationships and we then uh, assess whether or not the allowable loading exceeds the traffic we anticipate during the design period and if it does, well then that pavement is acceptable, otherwise another trial pavement configuration is selected and evaluated. So currently, as I mentioned, we don't have a procedure to design pavements with lightly bound layers. In them. And what we are looking for was uh, a means of uh, characterising lightly bound cemented materials uh, for use in these two guides. And to do that, we needed to give consideration to the properties of the materials and the design requirements. And so we've already heard about some of the findings and I'll just run through them again about what we've found in the project. That these materials, are, we did see shrinkage cracking and we did see some very minor fatigue cracking, but the cracking characteristics were very different from the heavily bound cement materials. Now these materials have very low strength and therefore it's usually not economic to design for, to inhibit fatigue because you, to reduce the stresses down to suitably low levels, very large thicknesses of layers would be required. So we've concluded 
that we won't include uh, a process for uh, determining the fatigue life of these materials and we don't need a fatigue relationship unlike the case for heavily bound cement and materials. But what we do need is uh, moduli of lightly bound materials in the crack state and I'll, I'll explain a further about that later in the presentation. Another characteristic that we require is that where we're using lightly bound materials as, as a base layer with a thin surfacing, we want to inhibit the development of macro cracking. These materials fatigue crack very quickly, but we want to inhibit the development of macro cracking from the micro cracking that develops due to fatigue. This is less of a concern where you've got using lightly bound materials as sub-base, where you might have sufficient cover over the materials to inhibit the, the cracking in them reflecting through to the surface. So shown on the left-hand photograph here, you might be able to just to decipher, there's some brownish marks on the surface uh, that uh, is associated with some minor pumping of a lightly bound pavement. Whereas on the right-hand side, you can see the very different ladder cracking uh, that develops from heavily, uh, can develop from uh, heavily bound pavements with high cement contents. So the design process, the mixed design process for lightly bound materials requires a UCS in the range one to two. And, and that, from what we've seen, is inhibiting the development of ladder cracking. We're not seeing that and we haven't seen it from the study findings. Importantly, we also, as I mentioned, we don't want this uh, this fine uh, this fine micro cracking of uh, fatigue shown on the left-hand photograph developing into crocodile cracking. As James mentioned, we didn't see a lot of crocodile cracking in in the in the main roads uh, pavements, and that is reflects their design processes, as I'll I'll describe a bit later. So what we want to do is to inhibit the development of such crocodile cracking because that'll lead to higher maintenance costs needing to remove and replace the, the pavement rather than simply resurface uh, and continue in service. So to do that, we need to inhibit the loss of transfer, or load transfer across the fine crackings as, as the loading develops during its life. So we want to stop this, the development of the wide cracking from the fine cracking. And we have some similar concepts that apply as far as load transfer in the design of jointed undowed concrete pavements. For these pavements, we saw cut contraction joints at four to five metre intervals uh, to inhibit, uh, to induce cracking. And in the case where we don't have a dowel to provide load transfer across the crack, we rely heavily on the uh, aggregate interlock at the crack face to provide that load transfer, uh, inhibit deflection of that around the joint here, and therefore erosion and pumping. And so what we do know is that to provide adequate load transfer, uh, we need to provide adequate thickness and, that th and also adequate support. And that thickness and the, and the amount of support increases as the traffic load increases. So those sort of concepts we've, uh, we think are applicable to lightly bound uh, materials. 
Um, so we, we're saying the greater the lightly bound base thickness, the greater the contract, contact area at the crack face, and therefore the less reduction we get of the load transfer at the joint at this crack with loading. And similarly, if we provide enough uh, adequate support to the, the base, the lower the deflection at that crack, and therefore the, the less reduction in load transfer with loading again. TMR had already uh, uh, recognised the importance of providing adequate base thickness. And in their design method, they'd provided for a minimum 200 millimetres of a lightly bound base. What we've done, and TMR, I should add, also then modified and increased that minimum value on a project level according to the traffic loading and the support conditions, but it was left to the designer to make those judgments about the increases. What we've provided in the proposed method is a design chart shown on the right-hand side here where guidance is provided about the, how the minimum base thickness should vary with the traffic loading from the minimum value of 200 upwards as the traffic loading increases, and also the reductions in that minimum base thickness as the support layer increases from a 150 MPA to 250 MPA. And what we're saying is this has been developed based on the experience of TMR from, uh, for moderate to heavily traffic roads and some modification of this may be required for lightly traffic roads when we prepare the text for part two and part five of the guide. So in terms of the minimum support to the lightly bound material, TMR had a, had a uh, design, um, their design method includes some key requirements here. There'd be a minimum of 150 millimetres of a granular subbase underneath the lightly bound material to support the lightly bound material. And that mod, and the modulus uh, of that lightly bound, that cement, that granular subbase should be at least 150 MPA. And as James, James explained earlier, the information we got from the uh, review of the in-service performance reflected the need for that and where it, that design rule came from. Uh, and so we're, we're supporting uh, uh, the use of the, this TMR minimum requirement in the Austroads procedures for moderate to heavily traffic roads. So just to give you now an overview of the mechanistic design method that would apply for lightly bound uh, materials. The first key step would be to, to decide whether this layer you want to inhibit uh, for macro cracking developing in this layer. And if you want to inhibit macro cracking, uh, and if it's being used as a base course, for example, yeah, that would be desirable you would put, uh, consider the minimum layer thicknesses, as I showed you in that design chart from 200 millimetres upwards. You would also consider the minimum support to the lightly bound uh, layer. So they're, they're two key things that need to be considered when you're starting that design method, uh, particularly whether or not you want to inhibit macro cracking or whether this layer is a sub-base layer, for example, that doesn't require uh, consideration of that. 
You would then select your trial pavement composition, uh, determine the moduli of the uh, lightly bound uh, material in the crack state. And I'll explain a bit further in the next few slides how we do that. And then given those uh, thicknesses and moduli, you put the um, configuration into the linear elastic model, calculate the critical strains, and from that, you can calculate the allowable traffic loadings. So what we need to discuss now is how the proposed process for determining the moduli, the design moduli of lightly bound materials in the crack state. So one thing that uh, was uh, uh, a hindrance, I suppose, to coming up with uh, appropriate moduli is that we currently don't have any process for preparing uh, cement materials in a crack state for laboratory modulus testing. So given that we don't have a suitable process yet, we've needed to rely on presumptive modulus values uh, that are based on back calculated results that we've obtained from field deflection testing. Another aspect of the study findings that we couldn't conclude that the uh, cracked moduli of lightly bound and heavily bound were significantly different. So what we're proposing is that the same design moduli apply for all cracked cement materials, regardless of whether they're lightly bound or heavily bound uh, cement materials. Most of the available information we had to derive these moduli related to base quality materials or upper sub-base quality materials. So that's what I'll concentrate on in this presentation. In terms of the moduli for lower sub-base quality granular materials, say with a CBR of less than 30, we're proposing that a conservative design modulus of around 200 MPa be used. So the first issue was what would be the maximum modulus that could be assigned to a cement material in the crack state. Our TMR had have are using in their design method uh, a, a modulus, a maximum modulus of 600 uh, MPa in the vertical. It's a vertical modulus with a horizontal modulus half that half that value. We reviewed that as part of this, this study and shown on the graph, on the left-hand graph here was some results of uh, New Zealand roads where the modulus was back calculated uh, over a 10 year period uh, of in-service payments. And uh, shown on the middle gra graph was some New Zealand uh, accelerated loading results of uh, cement materials with one and 4% cement. Uh, showing they were reducing to uh, modulus values, uh, perhaps between 1,000 and 1,500 MPa at the end of loading. We also have the results uh, of our field trials, as James was explaining earlier, uh, at Baratus Creek, where we'd back calculate the modulus after a year in service. So looking at all of that data, we uh, concluded uh, that we should support the, uh, the 600 MPa figure as the maximum modulus uh, that a cracked cement material could develop, um, consistent with what TMR had been using. 
Another issue related to the fact uh, that for unbound granular materials, we recognise that the modulus is stress dependent and therefore we, we vary the modulus of unbound granular materials according to the thickness and modulus of the overlying asphalt. And the question was, do we need to do that for crack cemented materials? So we, we had some, shown on the, the left-hand graph there is some uh, field results, FW uh, of the back calculated modulus of 3% cement treated crushed rock at different FWD uh, stresses. And we concluded there was a stress dependency of cracked uh, cemented materials, but to a lesser extent than for unbound granular materials. So shown on the right-hand side, is then a design, a table that could be provided in the guide to vary the maximum modulus from the value of say 600 here for a thin layer of asphalt and a low modulus down to a modulus of 430 when the stresses on it are lower. And so we have provided some variation in that 600 MPA maximum modulus according to the thickness and uh, modulus of the overlying asphalt because of the stress dependency. Another consideration was uh, does the modulus vary with the modulus of the supporting layer? With the current design procedures Austroads has, there's no variation uh, in the design modulus of cracked cemented materials. It's 500 MPA irrespective of the supporting layer modulus. So as part of this project, we tried to assemble any available information and there wasn't a lot of information that were available, but there, were, there was this graph here, results from an earlier accelerated loading trial of a 3% cement treated crushed rock under accelerated loading where there was 150 millimetres layer of cemented material on direct placed on a a subgrade with a modulus uh, of about 60 MPA. And you can see in that case, the initial modulus started off around about 10,000. And by the time we saw cracking on the surface, uh, it had reduced down to about 240 MPA. So 240 uh, was roughly four times the modulus of the underlying subgrade. So what we're proposing uh, is to provide a limit on the modulus that the layer can develop, that being four times the modulus of the underlying support layer. So that's incorporated in, a, in this design graph here, where the modulus that, you know, the maximum modulus that can be assigned to the crack cemented varies up to 600 MPA, uh, but, uh, and down and reduces uh, as the uh, support layer modulus reduces. We've proposed there a lower limit of 240 MPA, uh, reflecting the fact that uh, cracked cemented materials have been widely used in deep strength asphalt pavements uh, and successfully uh, uh, with modulus values of much more than one or 200 MPA. And so we've decided to put in uh, a design, minimum design modulus of 240 uh, it for to cover that situation. So just reflecting again on what the design process is, um, the first step is basically 
if you're designing a lightly bound layer, do you want to inhibit macro cracking in it? Is it a base course with a thin surfacing? Uh, and in that case, you would need to consider your minimum thicknesses, uh, base course thickness, and also the minimum support level. You would then select a trial uh, pavement configuration, as I've talked about. Then the, uh, determine the design modulus in the crack state, considering the maximum value of 600, the effect of the supporting layer in, in terms of reducing that maximum of 600, the effect of any overlying asphalt layers in reducing the stresses and therefore uh, lowering the modulus. Then you would calculate the strains in our mechanistic model as we commonly do. And from that, using the performance relationships, calculate the allowable traffic loading and in terms of both permanent deformation and asphalt fatigue. Note, there is no need to estimate the fatigue life of the lightly bound material because it's assumed to be in the cracked state. So in summary then, um, these lightly bound bases have been designed and constructed in Queensland for over 10 years and we've built heavily on their experience uh, in proposing this design method. Compared to unbound granular materials, they have uh, improved rut resistance and provide improved support to thin asphalt surfacings. But what we do need to do is to manage uh, the cracking that develops in them because they have very low fatigue lives uh, due to their low flexural strengths. And also we've noted that it won't, it's not economic normally to design these materials to inhibit fatigue cracking. So as I've mentioned previously, we've developed this, uh, this framework for a design method based on the TMR method. Uh, we've characterised, uh, we've, I've described the characterisation of the cracked cemented materials and provided uh, some explanation of how we've come up with the design moduli. And I've reinforced uh, the where you need to uh, reduce the risk of macro cracking. There is a need to provide uh, a minimum base thicknesses to get load transfer and minimum support conditions underneath the lightly bound materials. Uh, the, that is necessary to maintain the, you know, to inhibit the development of macro cracking from the, the micro cracking that will develop in these, in these materials. So that completes uh, the presentation and uh, I'll now hand back to Ekaterina for the questions. Thank you very much, um, Jeff, and uh, thank you very much, James, as well, for such a um, great, interesting and in-depth uh, presentation. We went a little bit uh, over uh, the allotted time, so we will just extend the Q&A and we will finish um, about 10 past one. Um, so I hope that's okay with um, our audience. We received very many questions. So we will try to answer as many of them as we can. Um, and the rest of the questions, we will respond to them in writing and email the copy of the response to everyone after the webinar. So with the first question, uh, I'm gonna take us to slide 12 where you talked about the definitions. Um, and the question is, uh, if a granular material is self-cementing, um, as the material gains stiffness over time, could it be defined as, as lightly as a lightly bound cemented material? 
Yeah, I would say that that if you are having a granular material that's that's got some kind of cementing action in there, if it's um, moving into that 28-day UCS compressive strength, potentially it's then defined as a, a lightly bound cemented material. I guess the what you're probably talking about more though is potentially sort of recycled crushed concrete that that potentially then binds together and and obviously if you're going to be using that type of material um there's the propensity for it to develop cracking and therefore you need to be i guess designing to in, inhibit that cracking i don't know whether jeff wants to add any further uh, comment on that the only thing i would add was uh as as we've mentioned fine cracking does develop in in the, when those materials are used as base cores um, so, in terms of uh, one important characteristic, then is the erosion resistance of these materials. So you need to have adequate erosion resistance. If you're if you're binding a material, uh, it needs to have adequate erosion resistance uh, so that you don't get uh, erosion at that fine cracking. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, James, so you mentioned recycled materials. So uh, we've got a question. Has there been any research done on the performance of recycled concrete material uh, in lightly bound cemented materials? And there um, is a clarification here. So um, a without added cement, um, it has cement reactivated from the recycled concrete. Uh, and another option is with small percentage of um, content. Yeah, I mean, the, this work is very much about stabilizing in situ granular materials. Um, and it, it hasn't looked at um, incorporating sort of previously cemented materials or, or recycled concrete, for example. Um, personally, I'm not aware of much work in that particular space potentially it's a, a an area that, that might end up being looked at in more detail sort of moving forward um i mean one thing that we've looked at in another project is looking at foam bitumen stabilization of previously cement treated materials so potentially there's some parallels with with work that's being carried out there and will be published in the next few months i believe i don't know whether jeff's got any further comments no, we didn't address uh, uh, recycled concrete as part of this uh, project, and um, so I, I wouldn't assume that these processes apply to uh, to that material. Um, thanks, Jeff. Um, so I'm going to take us to slide 19, where you talked about the um, sub-base support. Um, Um, so the question is, what were the sub-base strengths characteristics? Was the sub-base also um, and lightly bound, a lightly bound cemented material? I mean, the, the sub-bases tended to be granular materials. I, I think there were some that were, were lightly cemented materials. Um, I think, again, you'll find more information in the reports, and I can't remember exactly um, the, the properties of these particular materials. Um, but again, there there should be information about the um, 
the estimated moduli of the different sub-base and, and obviously there's information about the subgrade material in terms of the CBR. Um, thank you, James. Um, uh, we have three questions related to slide 21. Um, so the first question is, um, could you provide any quantitative values to the phrase uh, inadequate sub-base support? And then I have two more, so we'll answer that one and then I'll um, ask the other one. Yeah, other one. I mean, I, I guess one of the starting points for that is probably figure 8.4 in um, is that part two of the Osroad Guide to Pavement Technology. Um, so I, I guess one of our starting points for, for analysis was to look at how these pavement structures would fit in terms of figure 8.4, um, where these structures look like they um, have been designed well or had relatively uh, thick sub-base materials. Um, they, they look like they would easily, well, that they've been designed sort of to easily meet the design traffic. Um, the, the issue became when there were structures that, that had either potentially no sub-base that, that we could identify or only a thickness of potentially 50 millimeters of, of sub-base. And if we then took those designs back to 8.4, those particular pavements would seem to be under-designed for the, for the design traffic. Thanks, James. Um, so you might have answered uh, the, the other two, but I'll just, I'll just read them both out. Um, so what's the minimum, minimum uh, thickness of the granular sub-base? Uh, and the other one, does the width of the shoulder uh, have any impact on the performance um, of the LBC layer? If you need me to repeat any of those, like just let me know. Yeah, so obviously in terms of um, a minimum thickness, maybe I'll, I'll let Jeff answer that one. But again, yep, obviously it's, it's related to the design. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as I mentioned in the presentation, we're proposing based on that primarily based on the analysis that's shown in that previous slide that we were looking at, the field performance data, that Sorry. we adopt that we adopt the main roads recommendations, the TMR recommendations, uh, to provide a minimum of 150 millimetres of a granular sub-base and that uh, the maximum modulus, the modulus that that layer should develop which should be a minimum of 150 MPA. So depending on the uh, modulus of this underlying subgrade, that thickness could be uh, more than 150 millimetres of a sub-base thickness. And that re really reflects the field performance data that TMR uh, have observed and how they've changed their design rules to reflect that. So yeah, that's what we're proposing, that uh, the support conditions for Ostrage should align with what TMR have uh, determined from the performance of their pavements. Um, thank you, Jeff. Um, In terms of the second question the of that one, one? it was yeah. related to the shoulder, was it? 
Yeah. And obviously, so the, does the weight of the shoulder have any impact on the performance of the LBC layer? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we've we've seen in in this work that the um, the modulus of the material in between the wheel paths is affected by the um, the the traffic or or the the in wheel path materials performance. Um, again, there's going to be some influence, I would think, of the 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 shoulder of the the road as well, and therefore, obviously, that's going to be related to sort of the the pavement design in terms of of how wide the the lane is, and you know how how the shoulder is is designed as well. I don't know whether Jeff wants to comment any further on that. Uh, the only thing I would add is that we currently don't have a process in our structural design method to allow for um, the support provided by the shoulder in terms of the uh, contribution to the structural performance of the traffic lane. Um, for, the, for In case of lightly bound, I don't think the situation is any different from any other pavement uh, in terms of the benefits of having uh, sealed shoulders. So I don't think there's anything specific that we can point to that would be different for lightly bound as opposed to other pavement configurations. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Um, I'll take us to slide 25 where you talked um, about Bruce Highway, um, Barada Creek's field trial. Um, so the question is in relation to the second point here. How did you distinguish between fatigue damage and loss of weakening of the subgrade support? I mean that that's very much the the moduli that are calculated through through back calculation um, using uh, e from d uh, back calculation software um, and therefore those back calculated moduli they were taking into account each of the different layers and in order to be able to fit very well with the deflection bowl from the FWD it was shown that the reduction in modulus had occur, uh, occurred um, purely in the um, the LBC base as opposed to uh, a, a drop in modulus or uh, from the the subgrade material. Thanks James. Um, so I'm going to take us to slide 28 uh, where you talked about the conventional laboratory um, testing. Um, and the question here is, the participant is asking, are you proposing to compact to standard rather than modified dry density? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Um, I mean, obviously, Queensland tends to use standard compaction, whereas down here in Victoria, we use modified compaction. Um, the key thing would be to find a, a general consensus that, that everybody could adopt the same compaction methods to to carry out these UCS testing. Um, and I don't know whether Jeff has got any further comments on, on how that consensus could be reached. Obviously, it, it needs to be adopted by everybody, but there's that, that complication that different states are using different compaction methods. Oh, the only thing I would add is just to reinforce the fact that these um, requirements, UCS requirements, are based on standard compaction. 
So um, if you're using yeah, so modified, you'll need to translate them uh, yeah. to equivalent modified compaction uh, values. Um, thank you, Jeff. Um, so slide 32 is next. And the question here, um, in the wheel tracking test, how was this lab supported and did the stiffness of the support influence the measured deflections? Yes, in, in these particular tests, the, the, the slabs were supported, as I was saying, with a, a low-density polyethylene simulative sub-base. Um, its modulus was considered to be around 200 MPA, so it's uh, considered a, a good support. We did look also at um, introducing some neoprene rubber to reduce that underlying support to try to increase the deflections to see whether we got a change in the um, failure characteristics. Um, and we did tend to see, I guess, more, well, sort of the breakdown into sort of um, blocks as opposed to um, break down into a, a granular material under the wheel load in, in the less well-supported slabs. Um, but most of the testing was carried out using um, the, the LDP sheets which allowed us to instrument underneath the slab and they were considered to be equivalent of a, um, a fairly good sub-base material. Um, so they were 200 millimeters thick and had a modulus of around 200 MPA. Does that um, answer all the question? Um, so, so um, look, we are running out of time. I'm just going to ask this last um, uh, question, just a general question. Um, so how was the curing process in trials? Um, um, have you done any carbonation or shrinkage tests? Uh, yeah, in terms of the, the curing, the curing was carried out um, either using 28-day curing for what was a, a general blend cement, so in a in a moist atmosphere, um, or um, we also made some slabs with general purpose cement as a proxy to GB cement because we knew that the curing was going to be quicker and therefore those slabs were, were cured within 14 days um, and, and there's some work that's um, highlighted in the report that, that looks at the difference in curing between GP cement and GB cement. Um, we didn't look at shrinkage cracking in the curing of the slabs but also the, the slabs are, are relatively small um, and therefore unlikely I guess to develop shrinkage cracks um, for, for the, the size that they are and, and the curing that was undertaken. Um, thank you very much, James. Um, well, um, thanks so much, um, Jeff and James, uh, for such a great um, webinar, great presentation amazing information. Um, I guess that brings us to the end of the Q&A session. Uh, we have lots of questions left, uh, so we're going to answer them and we will send uh, the responses to everybody after the webinar. As, if, as you can see, I'm uh, joined by my colleague and Randall, 
um, our fabulous elf who has been troubleshooting uh, technical issues for our participants all this time behind the scenes, making the uh, experience better. Um, so this is our last webinar for uh, in 2020, and we just wanted to say thank you to all of you for being with us um, over the past 12 months. We had 35 fantastic uh, webinars with nearly 9,000 attendees. Uh, we are very grateful for your interest and your invaluable feedback uh, that has been helping us uh, to shape our webinar program and deliver insightful and practical sessions. So our 2021 schedule is filling up pretty quickly. We already have nine webinars planned for the new year uh, with uh, nearly 2,000 registrations. So there will be a series of webinars on updated pedestrian uh, planning and design. There will be sessions on um, race safety platforms, public transport prioritization, and others. Uh, and if these sessions are not in your calendar yet, uh, please visit our website for more information um, and to register. Um, and as usual, um, as we close out today's session, there will be a questionnaire uh, for you to fill in. So please take a couple of minutes to let us know uh, what you think about the webinar. And thanks again to our presenters. Uh, thanks again to all of you. Um, have a good and relaxing break, and we look forward to a new and great 2021. So stay healthy and happy, and we will see you soon. Thanks so much, and we'll see you later.